Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The PATH Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the PATH. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. I'm excited to get to share today. I started this message at the women's retreat. Y'all remember the women's retreat? Woo! With the leaders. And so uh, I, it's just been on my heart since that time. And I asked the guys, can I share it? And they were like, absolutely. And so I'm so grateful for our guys who are so supportive and awesome and giving us opportunities to preach the word. Thank you so much, uh, gentlemen. Okay, so let's start out before we dig in. Let's start out with going to Mentimeter. I want to welcome you all on the balcony. I want to welcome you all online, on YouTube. We're so happy that you're here. Go ahead and log into Mentimeter. And so we can get started because we like to get the church's involvement in our messages. So the messages for such a time as this. How many of y'all have read the book of Esther before? Okay, so we're gonna review it for, for, so for some of us, for all of us, so we can be fresh with it. But first of all, how many of y'all like to win? Let's go to that next slide. Let's go to Mentimeter. Okay, how many of y'all like to win? Anybody like to win, like me? Okay, all right, have you won? Ever won anything? And if so, what was it? Okay, scholarship, money, I'd like to get medals, everything, door prizes. Okay, I've never won. When we go places to events and they're door prizes, I don't expect to win. I'm somebody who never wins, although I like to win. So don't play me in spades. Okay? I mean, this can be a good thing and this can be a bad thing. I like to win, so when we play categories at home, ask my kids, I'm making up words. I mean, we're winning. <laughs> and Lexi is a pro at categories, so guess whose team she's always on if there's a team? I like to win. Who doesn't want to win? Somebody said, my man. Okay. Bragging rights. <laughs> Flag football. Okay. I like to win football. It's so bad when my team is losing. So right now I'm Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. Woo woo! Sorry, y'all. I'm a, I'm Knicks, 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 New York, everything. When my team is losing, I have to turn the television off. <laughs> I can't even watch it. It hurts so bad. It's like, let me just go in my room and cry. You know, lottery winners have done some really interesting things with their winnings. A gentleman named David Copeland, he won a million dollars and he bought land on the moon. Land on the moon. I mean, somebody else, she was trying to reclaim her childhood and she loved fireworks, so she bought all the firework factories she could find. <laughs> like, what would you do if you won the lotto? Not encouraging anybody in here, Angel. We won't encourage anybody in here to play the lotto. But what, if, what would you do if you won big? So exciting. Something happens in your brain when you win. You know, we dance when we win. You see that guy? I think he was so cute. He got cut off. But y'all know what he's, he's doing that dance, right? We dance. What do you do? We sing. We, we just enjoy ourselves. We're going to talk about a woman in the Bible who won big. But what she won was the favor of the king and the whole palace. And we're going to look at how that played into why we get to be here today. Okay, so 
this is help, it's helpful just to go back through some history about the book of Esther. It's a story that takes place in the Old Testament. How many of y'all read the Old Testament? You're diving into the Old Testament and really getting deep in it. Okay, the Israelites, you know, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the chosen people not because they were perfect, but because God said, I'm going to show the world, the nations, who I am through you. But like chosen people, like us, they messed up over and over again because they would worship other gods. So God says, I'm going to let you go into captivity. Okay. I'm going to let your enemies conquer you, and you're going to live in captivity with the Babylonians. Okay. After that, the Persians are going to conquer the Babylonians. So this is where this story takes place during the Persian Empire. The temple has been destroyed. The people are discouraged. They're living in Persia, far away from their homeland, far away from their religion. And now, you know, some could have gone back to, to Jerusalem because King Cyrus said, when he became king, he said, y'all can go back to Jerusalem. But a lot of the Jews stayed in Persia instead of going home. They were fitting in. They were comfortable. The unknown of going home, whatever reason. This is when this book transpires. Her name means star. She is a star in this book. But God is the biggest star in this book. You know, uh, let's show this video really quickly for those of us that need just to be, you know, summarized. The book of Esther. Let's see if that video works. The book of Esther. It's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. And the main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official Haman, the cunning villain. Now this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once. Which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work, but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. 
Now, right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember for Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible decision. So the focus now turns to Mordecai and Esther, who are the only hope for the Jewish people. They make a plan that Esther is going to reveal her Jewish identity to the king and ask him to reverse the decree. But approaching the king without a royal request is, according to Persian law, an act worthy of death. So in a key statement, Mordecai, he's confident that even if Esther remains silent, that deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. And then Mordecai wonders aloud. He says, who knows? Maybe you've become queen for this very moment. Esther responds with bravery, and she purposes to go to the king with her amazing words, if I perish, I perish. Now, in what unfolds, we watch the ironic reversal of all of Haman's evil plans. So Esther hosts the king and Haman at a first banquet, and she says that she wants to make a special request of both of them at an exclusive banquet the following day. So Haman leaves the banquet totally drunk, and he sees Mordecai in the street. He fumes with anger, and he orders that a tall stake be built so that Mordecai can be impaled upon it in the morning. It seems like things can't get any worse for the Jews and for Mordecai. But all of a sudden, the story pivots. It just so happens that night, the king, he can't sleep. And he has the royal chronicles read to him for good bedtime reading. And he just happens to hear about how Mordecai had saved the king's life. He had totally forgotten. So in the morning, Haman enters to request Mordecai's execution. And the king in that moment orders Haman to honor Mordecai publicly for saving his life. So now Haman has to lead Mordecai around the city on a royal horse, telling everyone to praise him. Now this moment in the story, it's a pivot for the whole book. It begins Haman's downfall and Mordecai's rise to power. Watch how this works. The day after is Esther's second banquet. So the king and Haman arrive, and Esther informs the king that, first of all, she's Jewish, and second, that Haman has enacted a decree to murder her and to murder Mordecai, who saved his life, and to murder all of the Jews. Now, the king's had a lot to drink, so when he hears this news, he goes into yet one more drunken rage, and he orders that Haman be impaled on the very stake he made for Mordecai. It's ironic and a grisly way for Haman to go. Haman's execution, however, doesn't solve the problem of the decree to kill all of the Jews. So the focus now turns to Esther and Mordecai as they make a plan to reverse the decree. They discover that the king can't revoke a decree that he's already made. So instead, the king commissions Mordecai to issue a counter-decree. On the appointed day that all of the Jews were supposed to be killed, the 13th of Adar, now the Jews are ordered to defend themselves and to destroy any who plotted to kill them. 
Then Mordecai, Esther, and Jews everywhere hold banquets and feasts to celebrate this new decree, and Mordecai is elevated to a seat beside the king. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And we did that in five minutes, y'all. <laughs> what well, the Bible has got it going on. There's a lot going on in little Susa, right? There is a lot going on. Powerful nation, powerful king, but nobody's more powerful than God and God's providence. You know, uh, there's a lot of drama here, a lot of power, a lot of intrigue, a lot of drunkenness, a lot of violence, right? I mean, reality TV has nothing on the Bible, guys. The Bible is exciting. If you read it, you'll be like, what? This happened? Who? You're going to use these people? Oh, my goodness, they're drunken. Like, what in the world is going on? You know, when God, my first thing here, as, as I review this book, I get this point. When God is silent, he is not absent. When he is silent, he is not absent. This, this scripture right here, Isaiah 46, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all these as I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From far off, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, I will bring about. What I have planned, I will do. Yep, God's name is not mentioned in this book, but God's fingers and fingerprints are everywhere in the book. Because, I don't know, maybe God gave us the book of Esther to remind us that when we can't see him, when we can't feel him, when we can't hear him, we're not getting these answers to our prayers. He is still working. And he's working powerfully for our good. Providence. So write this word down, y'all. This is a word you're going to learn from this book. Providence. God's providence. It's that God sees ahead and makes provision for everything in our lives. How about that? That is pretty awesome, God. He takes the natural and he moves supernaturally. Oh, isn't that God? So he takes leaders, your leaders, your world leaders, leaders of churches, leaders, people, decisions, laws, disasters, accidents. And guess what? Through his wisdom, through his love, through his care, he directs the whole universe for his ultimate good. So you and I don't have to understand everything. And we won't understand everything. You know, this king... King Asuherus, and I'm just going to say that name once because his Greek name is Xerxes and it's easier to say, okay? So King Xerxes, he didn't understand that he wasn't really in control. He was on the throne because God allowed him to be on the throne. I don't know about you, but man, I, when I look around the world today and I look at the news, I look at my neighborhood, I look at what's happening in the malls, in the schools, I say, God, what is going on? What's happening? Are you listening? Are you seeing? Are you on vacation? I know, I go, I know God's not on vacation. He don't go on vacation. Are you busy doing something else? God, through the book of Esther, we see, no, he's got a plan. He's got his providence. It has to do with the gospel. It has to do with this church. 
It has to do with you and I. We are involved in this plan that he has for the salvation, for the changing of this world. You know, God was working through that feast, that big feast that Xerxes threw to impress all of his military leaders so that they would go and fight the Greeks eventually, and the Greeks eventually overtook them anyway. He was working through that. He was working through that fight that the king and Vashti had. It was about, Vashti, come here so I can show you off to all my men. And Vashti said, no way. It ain't happening. Y'all are all drunk. I will not do it. And he said, oh, no, you won't. No, you didn't. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> and I'm going to get another woman. And I'm going to search the whole entire province for another woman that is beautiful. She's fine, y'all. She got to be fine. All that in a bag of chips. Came down to 400 women, and Esther made, made it in there. She made the cut. Okay? God was working through all of that. But let's be real for one second right here. How does it feel when God is silent for you? Has he ever been silent when you pray for that loved one to make it and it didn't happen? How about when you lose your job? Man, you work hard. There's no good reason. There's nothing you can figure out why you lost this job. Maybe you can figure it out, but... <laughs> You, you lost your job. God is silent. When you sit in your dorm room wondering, how am I going to pay my tuition? When you're looking around and you're watching everybody else get married, and you've been praying on this thing for 10, 20 years, and God seems silent. When it's financially rough, God seems silent. How does it feel? I want you to know that God, when God is silent, he is not absent. We're going to see that from this book in the Bible. Okay, let's move on to the fact that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. How many of y'all feel ordinary? You just feel like, what's she, Esther, queen, all of that? Like, I'm just me. Like, nobody notices me. Nobody even cares if I show up at church. Nobody really knows what's going on with me in my little life over there. You know, I'm just going to work every day, going to school, not really making a big difference, just trying to make it through. I'm really nobody. Everybody is somebody. And God does the extraordinary. So what God does is he takes Mordecai, and he has Mordecai adopt Hadassah. That was her name. And because she was an orphan. Wow. Wait a minute, y'all. I just told you. We're talking about Esther. She's going to become queen. And she was an orphan? You mean God can work through our past? You mean God can work through the things that we just never thought God would ever be able to work through because we're so jacked up in our background and you don't understand where I come from and what I've had to come through and the hurt that I've been through? Wow, God provides Mordecai and raises her. And we'll start in verse 8. Uh, she was his cousin. It says, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who was in charge of a harem. She pleased him and won his favor, and he immediately provided one year of beauty treatments, y'all. We're the women in the house. One year of beauty treatments. Who would like that? <laughs> Come on. But I said, God, wait a minute, wasn't she already beautiful? Doesn't the Bible say she was lovely in form and figure? 
That's what the Bible says about her. Okay, she's already a stunner. She's gorgeous. Whatever word y'all have for that, what's the word y'all have for a beautiful woman? She's fine. That's the old word, though. That's our word. She's fine. <laughs> we said that back then. Do y'all have a new word for a gorgeous woman? Do I want to hear it, maybe? <laughs> maybe a, a word, a word? Is it a good word? What is it? Okay, she's a baddie. <laughs> she is a baddie. <laughs> Thank you. And <laughs> I'll just say this about this baddie. I wish that, you should have told me that because now, <laughs> I wish that my children, I wish I would have known this story as a little girl. So those of you that have children, you better make sure your little girls and your little boys hear this story. Because God has a plan from them from little, from before the womb, from before the creation of the world. And they need to know it so they don't feed into what the world says about them and who the world says they need to be. All right? She was a baddie, and she won the favor of the king. But let's not forget, let's not forget that this wasn't like, man, this is just awesome. She gets to be in the palace. She was taken from the people that loved her to a strange place with a vulgar king. He was known to be one of the most ruthless kings there was. This was no picnic. But yet she won his favor, and it wasn't the makeup. It wasn't the beauty. You know, my mama used to say, beauty is as, a pretty is as, pretty is as pretty does. It wasn't just about the acts outside, right? She was definitely gorgeous, but there were many gorgeous women. He had 400 of them. He picked the believer. She stood out because she was different. She was distinct. She had something going on on the inside. Bible says she was humble and teachable. She won the favor of the man who took her into the harem, and he told her exactly what to do to get to the prince, and she did exactly what he told her to do. Some of y'all, you want, some of us, we want these amazing lives. We look around, and we're like, I want a marriage like that. I want, you know, I want to just have the best life and stay close to God, and I want, but we don't listen. We don't listen. Come on, y'all. I know it's not popular to listen, but we got to listen. She listened, and she went into the situation, and she obeyed, and this king was like, what? Who? What? Who? I see you, Esther. You're mine. And think about it. To the wives for a second. To the wives. We don't have much time to talk about this, but... I was thinking about how she must have been such a respectful woman, a respectful wife, to a man she didn't even get to choose. Well, there was something that made that king say, she's not complaining. <laughs> she's not like, I can't believe I got to be in this palace doing all this stuff and I don't. But there was a submission to God's will. There was a trust in the Lord that made her beautiful. Some of us, we're working too hard. There's nothing wrong with beauty. Beauty's all throughout the Bible. God's not mad at you because you're beautiful. Just don't make it the issue because it ain't. <laughs> What's on the inside is. But we got to work on the inside as we work. You can do the best with what you got to do with the outside, right? 
But God's looking at what's in here. Okay, he chose her. We get that point. He chose her. Look at her. Look at her. She's a, she's a stunner. She's a baddie. Go to the next one. She's ordinary. She was different. He chose her to be that instrument. And he chooses. Now, now listen to this, y'all. He is choosing you. Now, he's choosing you. Let's go to the next slide. How many of us in here do you believe, how many of you believe that God has chosen you for his special purposes on this earth? He's chosen you for a special purpose on this earth. Absolutely. I'm not sure. That's honest. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If you're not sure, I appreciate you for being very, very honest. If you're not sure, we want to talk with you today before you leave so we can put you in the direction to help you see what God says about this. God says in 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a and repeat it with me if you know it, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, his very own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Esther was chosen to be an instrument, and so are you and I. But how did he choose her? Did he speak through a burning bush? Did she hear him audibly? Did fire rain down and say, Esther, you are chosen. Go do something. He gave her an opportunity. He gave her an opportunity. Be on the lookout for your opportunities. You are not here in this room, alive, in this century, at this time, in your neighborhood, at your job, in your family, by accident. You are here for a reason. It's God's divine plan. Look out for your opportunities. You know, I'm so excited about just being here at, for such a time as this. This is a very, very, very special time. It's God-ordained. But let me tell you a quick story. I remember being 20 years old and getting tapped on the shoulder and saying, you got a lot of energy? <laughs> You're kind of fun? We need you to work with teenagers. What? And you're like, sometimes spiritual. So we need you to work with teenagers. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know anything about teenagers. I don't even like them. <laughs> like, really, I'm like, I, I love teenagers now. But back then, it was like, I'm the wrong person. So answer that call, and now it's about 30-something years later. It's the place I really learned to love people. It's the place I really learned how to sacrifice. It's the place I built friendships that we have 30 years later. It's the place I was able to be a part of changing thousands of lives. Because God ordained that. It was an opportunity that God brought to me and said yes, right? We've got some incredible people in the room. I'm inspired. I am inspired by a brother here who put on social media, his name is Trey, just to take the opportunity to say, what are you doing on Sunday for fellowship? And the next thing you know, you have two or three people interested in joining the Journey series because he just took that opportunity. We all have an opportunity this week coming up for Thanksgiving. Campus, y'all got an opportunity coming up for Thanksgiving, right? All of us do. We're going home. We're going to see family. We want to be different. <laughs> 
We have an opportunity to reach out to people that we don't get to spend much time with, to connect with people that sometimes we don't make the time to spend time with, to be different at home. This church launch that we have coming up is an opportunity. This Baptism Sunday coming up is an opportunity. Many of you are studying the Bible right now. You're studying the Journey series, and you're building a foundation for God, and you're learning how to follow him and what it means to be like Jesus. And God is calling you, and he has chosen you. Don't wait. Don't wait. It's an opportunity. And like Esther's opportunity, it may not be there forever. You don't know what happens tomorrow, right? There's a special time. And so if we go on to the next, we'll have to skip through some of this, but Esther, if we go on from the opportunity, we know the story, okay? Mordecai hears about the, the Jews being annihilated, which was pretty crazy, and he's mourning in the courtyard, and he's ripping his clothes, and he, he's, the other Jews are mourning, and they ask Esther for help because she's in the palace now. She has on the crown. And so they, he asked Esther for help. So let's pick up in Esther chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials, the people, the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned to the king, has but one, the king has but one law, that she be put to death, unless the king extends his golden scepter. Okay, so when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, do you not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent Mordecai this reply. Go and gather all the Jews who were in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days and nights. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. I think it's kind of interesting that Esther has followed his instructions all her life. She was the big, he was the big uncle, so she followed his instructions. And here, he's following her instructions. It takes all of us, y'all. We better be listening to all of us. We cannot say, because you were younger, you cannot have anything to say to me. Because you are a man, you should not speak to me. Because you are a woman, you should not. It doesn't work that way in God's world. It doesn't work that way in God's world. See, this was a Kairos moment. It was a Kairos moment. This is a really important term that I just learned that I'm very excited about. Kairos means, when he said, for such a time as this, he wasn't talking about tick-tock, tick-tock. He was talking about a special time, a chosen time, God's time, a powerful time to be used for his purpose. Esther was used for Kairos, and nothing would stop her. Not the enemies would stop her. Didn't you like that? That the enemy, do y'all have enemies? Anybody have enemies? Haters? Anybody have haters? Okay, hater, hey, hater. Christians have haters, right? You're going to have haters as a, as a disciple. It's expected. 
But guess what God does? He turns it all around so that the enemy gets what the enemy was trying to do to you. She didn't let her enemies stop her. She was vulnerable before God. She let her guard down before God, before Mordecai. She said, look, I'm scared. So these special moments, these are Kairos moments. They're special. And they can be scary. She said, I'm scared I may die if I go before the king and he hasn't summoned me. I'm afraid. And he said, girl, you can just hear that conversation. Girl, do you know that you are only there because of God? And guess what? If you don't do it, somebody else will do it. <laughs> but it's your moment. It's your Kairos moment. So come on, girl. And she said, okay, I got it. So don't we need spiritual, spiritual mentors, you all? We need spiritual mentors. We need the people who will speak the truth to us and remind us of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. She gets them together. She says she gets it together. She hears what he says. She fasts. She says, I want everybody to fast. That's the first thing I'm going to do, get everybody to fast. She got her faith. She overcame her fears. And we know the end of the story. She goes before the king. He doesn't kill her. Instead, he kills Haman and puts Mordecai in his place, and the Jews are saved. Why is it significant that the Jews are saved? Because that's how we got Jesus. Because all this was about preserving the people so that we could have Jesus. All of the roles that she played and everything that she did in her stepping up had to do with Jesus and us having Jesus today. Y'all, this, this may be your Kairos moment. We know that right now the ushers are going to pass out a little charm that we're sending you home with, okay? We're sending you home with a little charm that you can put in your wallet. It's really small, so you can put it in your wallet. You can put it on a chain. Just have it in your pocketbook or in your, in your pocket to remind you it's a crown, that you have been chosen. Because we don't want anybody to forget when you leave this message <laughs> that God's calling you and he's choosing you for such a time as this. We're about to take communion and head into Thanksgiving week, so let's set our minds on being thankful for God's providence, for our Kairos moments, for the opportunities that God has given us, that God is sovereign, that God has given us Jesus. Let's make the most of the time with our families and friends, remembering that God is not absent, that he uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary, and that he's chosen us, but we got to choose. All right? Take your little trinket, please, and as they pass it out, I will pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a time as this. Thank you, God, for our sister Esther, God, who you used to save the Jews from annihilation and actually so that we could have Jesus today, Father. It's a part of a bigger picture, a part of a bigger plan. I pray, God, that each and every, every one of us will see that you've chosen us, that there are places that we need to go, things that we need to do, people we need to talk to that only we can because you've chosen us. 
I pray that souls will rise up. I pray that hearts will be stirred. I pray that minds will change. I pray that uh, if there's an area that we're resistant about being chosen, that you would just bring those walls down today, Father. And help us to humble ourselves before you and before Jesus as we take this communion. We have this opportunity to take this communion because of all the people and all the ways you have worked beforehand. We thank you for that, God. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us so that we could be saved. Thank you for the body that was broken for us. We'll never deserve it, but we're so grateful for it. We love you. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.